Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe. We dabble in history, stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every damn week. It's a pirate-safe place where we gather to break down each and every single minute of the films in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I am the captain today, Scott Artis from scottartist.com. And I am your host. <laughs> you can't just assume the role of host. I'm the captain and the host. No, you said you're a captain, so I'm the host. I'm captain of this ship. I'm the host. Heather Artis from BlackPearlShow.com. Hey, congratulations. You got the URL correct. You're not sending people to some crazy other land in the web. I never do. What are you talking about? Yeah, you can barely remember your name. Anyways, it's the Kraken rum that you drink on a daily basis now. Multi-daily basis. Did you say this is a pirate safe place? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pirate safe place. Is that like the Tortuga? (laughs) Yeah, safe place for pirates. Okay. You know, you're free to be a pirate here. Okay, I get it. That kind of thing. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. We're all pirates here. So there you go. Thanks for joining us today for episode 115 of season two. We're squeezing the life out of minutes 130 and 131 of Dead Man's Chest. You know, it's a cracking thing, right? Because numbers are arbitrary. This is our 267th episode dedicated to Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow. Yeah, not too shabby. Because we're winding down movie number two and looking at the next three, maybe four, depending on where things actually settle with Disney. But yeah. Two six seven. Wow. We could have did the three hundred, and I could have mentioned it, but then, like I just said, it's arbitrary. So I just thought, wow, it's pretty interesting. I just happened to be looking at it one day, <laughs> but I don't expect any new info for a while, and who knows what's going on from Disney? Because they canceled the NorCal Pirate Festival in June. We heard that a couple weeks ago, or a week ago, or whatever yeah. it was, and I didn't forgot to mention it. And that was a mix of coronavirus and this new gig worker law thing that happened in California. And I think most of it was the gig worker law, from what I understand, because they're trying to navigate, like, how are they going to pay all these contractors, all these actors, all these people that come out just kind of a contract basis for a short term? How are they going to actually pay them under this law? And that was kind of the whole thing. How are they navigating all that, that legal stuff? And so then you throw on top coronavirus and pretty much thing fizzled out and they canceled it this year as they try and get their act together but it's like that scene in airplane where it's announced the plane has no pilot 
people are getting sick from the, you know, fish meal or whatever it was. <laughs> and But everybody's calm, right? It's like, oh, okay, everybody remains calm. But it's when uh, Elaine, I think it was, who's making the announcement, or the other flight attendant, she drops the, oh, and by the way, we're out of coffee. That's when everyone goes nuts. <laughs> so that's how I picture it here. Everything is all calm. There's a coronavirus. And then it's, oh, we canceled the pirate festival. It's like, ah, walk the plank. Then everybody goes and runs out and gets toilet paper. They're buying up all the food. It's because there's no pirate festival. That's, that's what it? happened. That's, that's, that's the actual reason. That's wow. what happened. Everything that's was amazing. going smooth. And then they heard, what? No pirate festival? Then they went nuts. Wow. That goes to show you the pull of pirates right there. There you go. That's why it's a pirate safe space. But in lieu of the festival... Perhaps you can amaze us. I mean, downright amaze us with some pirate speak here. Because it's time for Pirate Word of the Week. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two. Yarr! Oh, you forgot Pirate Word of the Week? No, I have two. It's not. Is it amazing? No. <sighs> the silence is deafening. Okay, what do you <laughs> it got? It to the minute. Can you drop... The doldrums of your pirate word of the week upon the masses so we can just get to the exciting minute stuff that if you're going to bring some not so exciting stuff to us. I mean, what is, what's going on over there? Sure can. Okay. Brace yourselves, everyone. This could be really exciting. I'm ready for it. Go. Quit Abandoned stalling. ship. Abandoned ship. Okay. Yeah. That has direct play. That's what I said. It's not. I mean, it's not. It's not exciting. Pirate Well, because term. everybody's heard it before. Yeah. But it does play into the minutes, so I guess I'll give it we to you. We all know, you know, yeah. What is the derivation of that, since I always like to ask that? What is the etymology of that, no? I have a meaning. To get off the ship? <laughs> to leave yeah. the ship? And leave the captain behind most of the time. Oh, to go sucks down to be with the, the captain. Ship. To go down with the ship. Oh, what was the to other one? To go ship. down with the ship? You said you had two pirate words. Oh, already. no. The other one's completely different. So you're not bringing it to us this time, though. No, I mean, I'll save use it, it some other you'll time. S- you'll save that one to wow us at a later point. Yeah, it's still not exciting. Oh, my God. <laughs> so for all the first-time listeners that are here, I'm sorry for the first letdown of Pirate Word of the Week. We have this whole shebang that happens, and you hear the intro music to the segment, and then Heather drops an abandoned ship on us. It is given to by the ship's officer. A ship's officer. Well, that's good. Thanks for bringing us some facts about it, finally. I did find a fake abandoned ship. It was really cool. I don't even know what that means, a fake abandoned ship. You're not allowed to allow... I got drawn in by a Photoshop picture. Oh, okay. And? Oh, that was was that the one you showed me? You dropped the bomb on me right before we came into the studio? Yeah, and we searched like 20 minutes to find... Trying to find... Because it was so ridiculous. It was like, there's... You're trying to tell me that there's this ship that's uh, perched atop a rock in the Caribbean that's a tall ship that just looks majestic up there. And I thought, how have I never heard of this before? So we're doing some searching. And finally, I start to look at the photo. And I'm like, this is clearly photoshopped. And then not only that, there's like cannons and things that have come strewn out from the hull that are still laying there. It's like, get the hell out of here. If people haven't (laughs) stolen that stuff by now... Then it's obviously fake because there's nothing better than humans like to do is raid and steal. So I know that that had to be a fake photo. Damn and then, it. And then, it's, and then we found something that said it was from the 1500s on top of it. Oh, yeah. It was all kinds of stuff. And it's like, yeah. no way this thing is just sitting out there like that. And the fact that I could never... 
find anything about it, never heard about it before. This is the first time that I'm seeing it. And then it's only found on Pinterest. How dare you guys? I mean, only seriously. Pinterest. Fake photos trying to get us all riled up like there's some pirate ship. It's like, I got to book my cheap tickets now to go out there, brave the <laughs> coronavirus, just so I can see this damn ship. But no, it was fake. That was at least our determination. Yeah. We and, couldn't find information on it anywhere, so. Yeah. I was just going to launch right into that. So now I have in the podcast a... Mm, which is going to be weird. People think maybe I got hurt or something out here. But all I was doing was, in the previous minutes, the Kraken has taken the bold step to unleash his tentacle upon one Elizabeth Swan. As is usually the case when this smooth, scongeely operator flings his limb at an unsuspecting pirate, he simply knocks her off her feet. Oh, Norrington, perhaps you should have taken a different approach to wooing the governor's daughter. <laughs> Not that the Black Pearl Show does not endorse or condone the unleashing of one's tentacle without consent. I'm just saying, Norrington, maybe you should have tried a different tactic. Minute 130 begins with the recently tentacled Elizabeth. <laughs> now I'm... <laughs> it's all going to hell now. <laughs> you know, these breakdowns sometimes. Why do I tongue twister those? I don't know. Minute 130, I'll try it for round two. Minute 130 begins with the recently tentacled Entangled. Oh man, I messed it up again. I'm going for round three, right on the air. Ready, go. Minute 130 begins with the recently tentacle entangled Elizabeth Swan. I need an applause for that. I got through that. Thank you. Getting rescued by Rigetti, who manages to free her with the help of an axe. Meanwhile, the Kraken continues to wreak havoc on the Black Pearl and her crew. Minute 131 ends with Joshimi Gibbs saying, Abandon ship. Abandon ship or abandon hope. So it's kind of the perfect time for Kraken destruction, though. I mean, it's a modern-day metaphor happening. <laughs> but unlike the previous minutes, this one seems to have a lot of meat to it. I actually got really involved with these two minutes because... Or maybe it was that I was just paying more attention while under shelter-in-place orders. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe. I don't know. But I... Because the past minutes, it was like... Okay, we're seeing some destruction. We're trying to dive into some stuff. But this one seemed to just, like, really have a lot of stuff going on with it. Well, these two minutes, the first minute was super exciting. You have all this stuff going on, the destruction of the Kraken. Yeah. And then the next minute was melancholy. That is, for these particular ones that we're seeing right yeah. now. Well, yeah, because it's almost like, as I was saying when I closed out the statement, and we can dive into this stuff, it, it, it comes down to the abandoned ship and even abandon hope kind of choice that you have. Yeah. So it, it really goes from this spectacular, almost a high, this glee that Jack's back to, oh, he's back. Now we got to get the hell off the ship. And so there's a major movie trope alert in these minutes, though. Major movie trope. And I thought maybe you could try and guess it. Do you know what I'm talking about A here? man saving a woman? No. No. <laughs> I... Man, Is she supposed was, to fall in like love with that man? Or something. That was just like a touche on the modern world or some kind of craziness that you just spurted right there. <laughs> so, okay, aside from that, a movie trope. We're not talking thoughts on society here. We're talking pirate. This is a pirate safe space, man. It's 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 all over that. Let's pirate safe space. Where it. are you going here? You don't know where I'm going? Or are you just no, like doing some existential question going? like, who got, am I? Got, what am I doing here? <laughs> I've got a couple things, but I'm just curious where you're going with. This. I'm not having. I'm just was trying to see if you could guess the major movie trope, the thing that the the trope. You know, I bring tropes to the show every once in a while. It's the idea that certain elements of a movie 
show up consistently. They're kind of almost verging on cliche. And Rigetti saving Elizabeth is... Oh, okay. <laughs> Man, I can't believe you went down that road. I'm not even going to touch that one with my 30-foot tentacle, okay? I'm just saying, there was a major trope without going down that road. And since you're not on that target, I'm going to set the scene. Okay, and then you'll, you do that. you'll think about it. Because then it should be apparent to you. I don't know how it's not apparent to you, actually. So... There's this scallywag, okay, on the deck. A scallywag, to, to be precise. He gets all warm and snuggly with the tentacle. And during his shaken pirate syndrome, he drops his oh. musket, okay? Yeah. Elizabeth sees the swinging rum. The powder kegs and all that kind of yeah. stuff, right? She makes a connection to the gun. She's like looking around for a gun, like spies the gun that the guy dropped, right? Then she, I think she gets knocked down, right? Because of all the stuff happening. Yeah. And then she starts to crawl. She's struggling to get to the gun. And just as she's about to grab it, a boot comes down right on it, preventing her from grabbing it. Yes. Boom. That's the classic trope. And it's in all kinds of movies. It's a slightly different take on the usual MO for this thing. Since it's not like two people fighting, but it's more of a Jack will take the shot moment. Okay? Yeah. Because you see that all the time. Where two people are fighting, someone drops it, they're going to reach for it, they're struggling, boom, somebody steps on it. And so, it's actually called the weapon stomp trope, because it happens so much. Wow. Here's the concept, which is not really any different than what I just said, but here's the official concept. <laughs> yeah, so, let's just rehash what I just said, basically, okay? Because I want to. Okay. Because I've already it's somebody done... else's work. Yeah, this I don't time. know. It's it's like a mixture of other things. Okay, so two people are fighting. They're either with swords or with guns. Okay, doesn't matter. One person loses their weapon in the fight, and it goes like skittering across the floor, the deck. There you go. Usually, it pops into the foreground. Okay, you know, you see it kind of slide towards the camera. That person dives for it, or crawls to get it, or slithers on the ground dramatically it's usually a dramatic moment just like elizabeth she's like struggling to get it like i'm gonna get this thing right it's all over her face but just as the hand reaches it just as the hand like reaches out to grab the hilt or the handle you see the opponent's foot come down on the weapon or on their hand sometimes it's, they step on their hand right yes and it ends the battle right there for the moment and so if the stomper is like this really powerful character Sometimes they crush the weapon or they'll break the sword. And if you don't know this, I can't believe you. You're giving me the look like you don't even know this trick. That's a really powerful Yeah, person. this happens before. I can't believe we got to go look at this. Didn't, didn't, isn't this like a Lord of the Rings thing too? Didn't they break the... He steps, uh, steps on the sword? Oh my God, we got to revisit Lord of the Rings now. I can't believe you're even going there. But any, anyways, you're throwing me off with your like... Like you don't even know what I'm talking about here. It's like this whole thing is, like, I've never seen that in a movie before. I've seen them step on it, not yeah. actually break it. Oh, well, we'll watch somewhere they break it. Okay. But that's beside the point. It doesn't take away from the whole trope. The thing is, with the trope, here, as opposed to many other movies, it's like where it comes up, we aren't expecting any weapon stomping in this particular moment. At least I wasn't. No, because we're all on the same side here. Yeah, except for the Kraken, of course. Oh, well, of course. But... I mean, but he's not technically on the ship. No, he's under it. He's under but his it. tentacle could have his tentacle could have got it. But at least that I wasn't expecting it, anyways. And that's the beauty of it, since it's like this unexpected turn of events that plays into Jack's heroic return to the Black Pearl. That's what this whole thing is about, and it plays so well with the 
ready for this? The he's back trope. Okay? It's like its name suggests. No matter how long it lasts, it won't stick. Sooner or later, our hero's going to shake off his funk and become the man he used to be. Or the man we want him to be as an audience, let's just say. Because he's back. He's fleeing and he makes that decision like, okay, he's back. Did we really think that Jack was just going to sail off to the island and watch the crew in the Black Pearl? Not after a look he gave. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. So all of this kind of fits into the, what I have in my notes actually, is, is labeled Hero Jack. And maybe the trope should be the hero's back for some extent of that. Because it's almost like we throw in so much of this effort to transform Jack from a cowardly scoundrel to a hero in these couple of minutes. Yeah. That's what's going on. That's what I think is interesting. So there's so much that piles on here. And I'm not saying that this is in a bad way with all this stuff. Because I think it rather like fits nicely. It kind of creates this character arc for rounding out the final minutes of the film. Which which I'm okay with. And so here's where I'm going with all this. All this like evidence, your honor, of building Jack into the hero. And it's not just it, like his return. That's part of it. But there's like all these little tiny components that like compile together to bring the Statue of Liberty Jack together in this particular stuff. I don't know. It's something grandiose is all I'm trying to say. Because, and maybe that fits in with my first bullet point here, is that there's like this unique camera angle looking upward. It's like looking from Elizabeth's perspective from the deck up to see Jack. And it has like this grandiose scale. It's like I was saying, the Statue of Liberty kind of thing. It's the hero element. Well, He's like so stoic there. It's the same look that we get when we first meet Jack and Curse oh, of well, the Black Pearl. Oh, well, that's a that's a good like callback. When he's to on that. the Jollymon. Yeah, because he is standing there like that. Yeah, exactly that is a good like that. Where it's this person that you've seen or the circumstance. Yeah, actually, that is a good callback because on the Jollymon, he's this perfectly, as I was just saying, stoic captain type figure sailing Even in on the sinking <laughs> Jollymon. Yeah. Here, in this movie, it's the same kind of element, but we just saw him as the cowardly Jack Sparrow escaping in the longboat. And so this is the real Jack Sparrow. Yeah, that's what we're kind of seeing, I think. Maybe that is what it is. Because he's presented larger than life now, and he's standing tall. He's kind of in the midst of all this craziness that's happened. It's it's like the, the true leader not letting the chaos surrounding him kind of keep him from rallying the troops or to keep him from doing what he needs to do. And it's so polar opposite of what we just saw him in the last few minutes. And that that's what I think is, is kind of unique here, this taking charge Jack Sparrow. And usually this pops up with in other movies, and I don't necessarily know if it's a trope or not. I didn't really look it up. But kind of the scared soldiers or troops that are in the trenches, and then you have like the captain or the general or whoever the leader is standing up right in the, the middle of a gun battle without any cover or oh, anything yeah. protecting him. You know, commanding his troops to do this. There's bullets zipping by, and he's just standing there where everybody else is hunkered down. And he seems to be impervious. He never gets hit. But that's the kind of idea. And there's many examples of this that I can think of. It's, well, maybe I can't think of many right now. Um, the, uh, there you go. Uh, Mel Gibson, we were soldiers in the Vietnam thing when they land and all that. And he's kind of standing out in the opens one. And I think there's also one in Black Hawk Down. But I'm sure in every war movie where you have the fighting, brave leader, that kind of thing happens. Yeah. But that, that's all I'm saying. Because previously we saw Gibbs 
Will and Elizabeth doing a bit of the commanding of the Pearl. Yep. Now it's like Jack, he's he's got calmed his nerves. He's accepted his fate, if you want to call it that, his role here. And the immediate instinct to flee in panic is kind of subsided. And now he's actually taking command of the ship again. He did his three deep breaths. <laughs> That's uh, there you <laughs> go. reassess the situation yeah, and then came did. back as the leader he is. Yeah, he's giving the orders now. Yep. So he's back in the captain's seat. But what happened to Elizabeth? What do you mean what happened to her? She's like cowering around, no, holding on to his leg like she's a little toddler. <sighs> Are you back on this thing about the man saving the woman thing? Is that where this is no! going? No. When he grabs a gun. Yeah. She grabs onto his leg and she's hanging onto it like a toddler would hang onto their parent's leg. Is she? Well, I didn't see that her looking afraid. I saw her in awe that Jack is back. It like blew her mind. Why is she hanging onto his leg I though? To, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember if I really paid attention to that part. It's like she's a little kid. What is the a is little... the ship a rocking though? And that's why if this ship's a rocking, hold on to Jack's leg. leg. No. 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 Nobody else is hanging on to anything. Okay, well, that's weird. Maybe she's, is she happy to see him back then? I'll have to revisit that. It's really weird. Maybe we'll it's, have to it, ask it, the It totally reminds me of, it looks like a toddler who's a little scared hanging on to their parents' leg. I don't know. Is it kind of like the original Star Wars poster with Luke Skywalker with the lightsaber there and Princess Leia is kind of draped all over his leg? Is <laughs> No, she's curled up at the bottom. Curled up at the bottom. I don't know about that. Okay. I'll have to look at this. I mean, I'd love to see a Star Wars reference like that, but. You'll have to look at this, didn't you? I scrutinized and analyzed. analyzed. Yeah, I did. But I was more stuck on the hero element. I wasn't paying attention to other people at this point. Because Jack is still. And that's just one piece of evidence. I got more evidence. Oh. Evidai. Okay evidences evidence it's not really evidence evidence is evidence there you go multi pieces of evidence let's just go with that because <laughs> he jack says she's only a shipmate no and he so, says it more sombering than that well he does say Please it reenact so he, he is that. a little bit i'm not gonna reenact it i'm just professing it she's only a shipmate anyways <laughs> what i'm saying is freedom is within Not the actual ship. And so I think that's a pretty powerful thing coming from Jack, given the entire movie, or not this movie, given an entire movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl, was dedicated to him getting this ship back. Yeah. It's his damn ship. But his freedom, that was all point of it. That's what it represented. But now the realization is that the ship does not necessarily make one's freedom kind of happen. It's you. You can make that. It's still a representation of freedom, but... There's other ways he can have that freedom. It just doesn't have to be the Black Pearl to achieve that same goal. Plus, it's connected with him thinking of the crew above himself. This is what's interesting, too. This is perfect character growth. He's thinking, okay, the crew's got to abandon ship. Yeah, well, there's only eight of them left. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though. Before, everything was about him. Now it's about the crew. Other pieces of evidence that I have, it's the slow motion shot. Reminds me of that sniper game I have, you know, where you can like see the bullet go. Oh yeah, see someone's head explode. That's always good. If you if you watch that in super slow mo, you can see trailing behind it. By the way, on the on the movie, yeah, uh-huh. it's like the it's like it's piercing the the air, yeah. which is pretty cool. 
But it has the classic elements. It's, there's an up close kind of shot of Jack's eye aiming. Everything is falling apart. You know, Jack snipes that falling barrel to ignite everything. Hero moment for sure. But it also then, I think, brings back that narrative that's being spun by Verbinski that Jack is completely back. It's not Jack, Sparrow, just him. It's Jack, the hero that we've always wanted him to be. Yeah. The classic hero pirate type thing. Captain Blood, if you want to call it that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That's what it is. And perhaps my biggest piece of evidence that I have that Jack is the hero it's the circular lens flare that surrounds him. It's like, I mean, did you see that thing? It's yeah. like it circles him. It's like someone drew a circle around him. Because <laughs> whether you think lens flares are overused or not, I think it actually works really well in that shot for yeah. this return of Jack Sparrow's segment. Because it builds off that statuesque nature. It's like that Jack in the moment, that hero in the moment. I mean, I think it has some biblical element too with the circle, the halo, he's the angel kind of thing it's got a halo going on i don't know i'm just throwing stuff out. surrounding him it is surrounding him yeah yeah oh surrounding not just on the head trust me i'll tell you about it (laughs) if there's something i won't dive into let me know because this is one of those things i will dive into which is lens flares because there's a very good reason i think for all of this i mean it's there's quite a bit of meaning behind the use of lens flares at least when they first came out with using them i guess i could say or i should say purposefully including them in films because cool hand luke was the first popular movie to bring lens flares into the image on purpose it was a way of depicting the intense heat that comes from being in a chain gang you know you see a lens flare you're like oh my god it's hot especially if you're seeing a chain gang out there and then jj abrams obviously in more modern times popularized it and the really interesting part is hearing about how lens flares were so carefully avoided in the past. In Citizen Kane, Orson Welles went so far as to coat his lenses with this substance called Vard Opticoat that ensured lens flares would not be seen in his production. Because this was important due to all the lights that he had as he was really trying to create this innovative deep focus shots in the film that it's really known for. And so at the time, it was believed that lens flares in a film was, if you had them in there... It's like you didn't know what you, you were doing. You were unprofessional. Yeah. yeah. And so this all changed, though, with these kind of experimental filmmakers in the 60s who were, they're breaking all sorts of rules going on. Okay. There's, it's like Cool Hand Luke, obviously, is the first one, but Easy Rider, Planet of the Apes, you know, get your damn paws off me. You, oh, damn it. I messed it up. Oh, get your paws off me. Okay. I got it on the second round. But, anyways, The Graduate, they all had these lens flares. And, and at that point, there's almost no going back because then fast forward to present day and then they show up in many, many films all the time. Yes. But the idea was that lens flares, and this is why they started to be used because they thought it created a sense of authenticity. And when I was reading about it, it was like the cheaper documentaries of the time would sometimes have lens flares in them because they couldn't, they didn't have all the, the, the money to, to put coats on the lenses or to redo shots and do all this kind of stuff. So they were often included. And so it made it feel like the movie wasn't made like in a box or on a studio stage yeah. kind of thing. It was real world. And so it, the idea was that it would draw the viewer deeper into the story and the visuals, which is exactly what I think we're getting here on The Black Pearl. The whole point is that it sells the reality of the characters and it, it builds this sense of wonder. That's why they started using lens flares. And they especially started to get kind of held into sci-fi or drawn into sci-fi because people 
who were starting to do sci-fi work at the time thought, oh, well, if lens flares could sell authenticity and realism for regular movies, imagine what we could do if we could sell that same realism to a sci-fi movie where you have to suspend your disbelief even further. So Spielberg brought it into Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hmm. And then that's all she wrote. Because then at that point, you have it etched into the sci-fi realm. And then obviously it just progresses from there. And you get now J.J. Abrams using it frequently. From a practical standpoint, though, lens flares are all about like light bouncing off camera parts. And so when you have bright lights and they're shining at the right angles, the right intensity, then they, they tend to like bounce off the parts. And you can get circles, you can get lines and vertical, horizontal, all these kinds of different artifacts. And so it's interesting that, that now they're starting to, to work with lens flares to create certain objects or to create that right look around something, which you see J.J. Abrams does quite a bit. But here, you get the cool circle effect that just surrounds Jack Sparrow in his moment of heroism. And so that's what I like because it creates this kind of aura for Jack Sparrow. It's it's actually, as you were saying earlier, you know, usually you would see like in paintings for a biblical thing of like a halo around somebody, yeah. just their head. But there is a kind of, of halo. This It's called an areola, not an areola. Don't give me that look. I wasn't going there. It's an areola. Okay. Let's just say that. Like... Ariel, okay? Ariel, okay? <laughs> Ariel. I'm not going there. How dare you? Don't give me that look in the studio like that. Anyways, it's an Ariel, which is the radiance of a luminous cloud that in paintings identifies sacred people and surrounding of the whole figure. So that's the type of it is when mm. it surrounds the whole person. Okay. So when it is like surrounding this whole person... It's used to depict a sacred moment usually, which like often can be transcending time and space. It's like the resurrection, transfiguration, the ascension. And that's where the biblical element comes in from that. And so that's why I was wondering here, is this one of those moments that we're seeing? Is this like foreshadowing what is to come for Jack? It's, it's the stuff we don't even know about until At World's End. It's like when the fate of Jack is actually discovered. But that's, I think, if you when we get to that movie, that's a transcendence of space and time. I mean, that's spot on for that crazy action. <laughs> I'm right? Yes. That is pretty crazy. So I'm just wondering, is this some kind of foreshadowing here of crazy times to come based on his, or based on the size, I should say, of his areole? There you go. It's <laughs> areola. I didn't say that. You said it. But that's what I want to say. It's just like damn spot on for, for what I'm seeing. And then as for the colors of the lens flare, and this is this is where I start to go off the rails. And I did this like in some of the previous things where I go really deep diving and it's like, uh, okay, we're not buying it. But anyways, I thought I'd bring it to you anyways. It's uh, like the colors of the lens flares. It has its roots kind of in this aura for Jack. And... Colors have meanings in auras. Not that I follow auras because I had to look this up. Heather is like, are you on a psychic website? And I said, hey, that's none of your business. But <laughs> yes, I am. And there's a reason for it. And so I was looking up what is like distinct colors mean in an aura. And so the ones that actually show up here, this orange, red, purple, and blue, actually seem to fit Jack. It's, it's like I think Verbinski purposely altered the colors of the flare. 
or I think that he could have, but he didn't. I don't think he did that by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's now, this is why I'm saying I went off the rails because I don't think he actually changed the colors of these. It's like maybe a happy accident, as Bob Ross would say, that these colors showed up because red is the color of strength. It's like strong passion and will. Orange is warmth and thoughtfulness with if it has like a golden orange, then we see it like denoting self-control. And then purple is 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 said as uh, someone who is seeking something in life. Uh, and it may show that the person has an obstacle to overcome and is feeling misunderstood, which I think also fits Jack. Yeah. Some more fo- foreshadowing. And then blue, it's the color of quiet and calm. It shows a person who has found his or her work in life, which... I think also fits Jack because this is the moment that he's was coming back as the hero. Like, oh, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. And kind of came back. And then it's all quiet. It goes to the slow motion and all those kinds of things. So Hero Jack. I mean, that's like the big arc that I've seen in this entire movie. Because he's been the selfish sparrow. Now he's the hero. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. And so that that was like my, my big takeaways from the minutes. Now you're talking all about Jack being a hero. I think Patel or Rigetti needs some of this. Yeah, Rigetti is okay. Yeah, Rigetti His is quick a hero. Thinking without hitting Elizabeth's leg because he got close and saved Elizabeth. Yeah, I did forget it. I got really focused on the hero moment for Jack as opposed to a lot of the other stuff going on. So you're right. Rigetti does actually save the day. He yeah. saves Elizabeth, a main character, and he doesn't really get the props for it. No, he gets nothing me. for it. Yeah. She he, goes slithering away. Well, see, uh, there you go. Just like, as you were saying earlier, but this is just like a woman. A man saves her and then she doesn't even say thank exactly. you. Exactly. Look at that. What kind of craziness is that going on? That was to balance out your other thought. That Now we're balanced again. Oh, okay. That was the only reason I brought that up. Send all your hate mail to Heather. By the so way. the Kraken, he sustained some damage in this thing, some serious damage. Yeah. But he's going to come back. How is he going to come back with no tentacle ends? Well, yeah. So there's a few things here. This is the second time he's... Been chopped up? Yeah. And like I said, I was rather preoccupied with Jack's transformation during these minutes. But this one was one of the other bullet points. I had like other things. And because the cannon shot to the tentacles earlier, that was pretty brutal. Yes. But like Gibbs, I'm basically got the impression that, well, this just pissed him off. Yeah. And I don't think we're here like meant to believe otherwise. I think we, I think it's all leading up to, we know that this thing's not finished, but because nothing leads us to believe that a victory has been had. It's not no, like, not not like the first no. round. This is like, oh my God, here we go. Uh, but I think it is that moment like, man, this Kraken is really a beast. If it can withstand and you know, he's going to come back with uh, burned tentacles. With a vengeance. Yeah. And I don't know how many of his tentacles were fried. Maybe right. he doesn't have all that many left. Which maybe we should be tracking that in the next minute to see, hey, did they give this guy some uh, bony fried... Does it look like calamari on a plate? Because it's been fried up. That's what I want to know. That's what I do want to know. So does the burning kraken flesh smell like... Yeah, it smells like... uh, Fish? Calamari? Calamari. They're eating up. (laughs) They took some of that stuff from the deck and they put it in the longboat. Probably a good idea, actually. Yeah, it is a good idea. (laughs) And that's how... What is it? Squid? Octopus? 
calamari became a delicacy. It was because of an incident way back in the 1700s. <laughs> Fried up. Yeah. What else did you get? Uh, it gives. I think he's actually, this is actually more painful to give up the ship than it was to give up the rum. Yeah, I had something similar to that. I think this is a great moment for Gibbs in minute 131, the abandoned ship or abandoned hope moment. And well, first of all, we should say that there's eight remaining crew members left. There's Gibbs, Swan, Turner, Sparrow, Marty, Cotton, Pintel, and Rigetti that are left. Cotton's parrot. And the parrot, yeah, so 8.5. And I actually love this line by Gibbs at this point because... It is like the rum incident earlier. His instinct is to stay aboard the Pearl. And one could argue that that's self-preservation. It's like with the rum. Like, really? I'm not going to have any rum to drink? And it's the same thing here. Like, we're going to go out into a tiny boat in the big old ocean out there with the Kraken. Oh, Just well, like Pintel and Rigetti Pintel are saying. Pintel have that idea, too. So maybe there's some of that. Or maybe it's a bit of the captain goes down with the ship. I mean, it depends how you want to spin that, maybe. But... Even he realizes that like resistance is futile here to stay aboard the the Pearl. Because the Kraken's not going to let it go. He just got his arms blown yeah. to smithereens. And the hope is that the longboat, that they can uh, go there together. It's like, I think it's bringing people th- to be like this crew is a family kind of thing. It's like, well, what's left is eight of them. So not... All the crew, but a subset of the crew is a small family that can go on the longboat. And for practical purposes, it had to happen. That's where the movie making has to take place. Because you can't have 40 crew members survive and only eight of the main characters get into the last remaining longboat that Jack brought back and escape. They have to die a hero's death. Or they have to die fighting the Kraken. We can call it a hero's death. They have to go fighting somehow. Because... Otherwise, it looks like there's a bunch of bastards on board. Right. That are leaving the rest of the crew to die. So, by default, Verbinski has to kill off. Uh, Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott have to kill off everybody except those that can fit in the longboat <laughs> for the movie. Otherwise, yeah. you go, damn, they're bastards. Which is too many for the coronavirus, by the way. <laughs> exactly. So, that's just flat out movie making history, magic, whatever you want to call it, predeterminism. That they have to get rid of everybody to fit in the longboat. Otherwise, then we're all going to be like, oh, God, Elizabeth Swan just killed all those guys. And we're supposed to like Elizabeth Swan, Will, yeah. and all the... Yeah. Uh, so I think that's... It works. It's okay. And those other guys got to be squeezed by a tentacle, which is cool. If you're going to go, you might as well go by Kraken. Yeah. I mean, that way you can tell the story. Well, you can't, but others can tell. Hey, <laughs> Joe, Joe the pirate got squeezed by the Kraken. And then we got some delicious calamari afterwards. So it, it, it builds the story, you know? Yeah. Then you can even name the dish after some of your old friends that, that died on the Pearl. There I don't you know, go. There's things to think about. You know, let the legend live on for them. And the, I did find a weird kind of fact. I, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you wanted to chat about? Did you have some other bullet points before Just I go Just set out for this week and this week only. I want to go back to okay. what's your phrase for the week. What's my phrase your, for the week? Your sentence or oh, phrase. Oh, I didn't even or... think about that. Man, because I don't have my other notes in front of me of what some of those phrases were. I mean, I guess I could go abandon ship, abandon hope. That's because that's all that I got. But um, actually, I mean, that would be the easy one for me. I think it's the Jack Sparrow one 
For me, it's the it's only a shipmate. Oh, she's only a shipmate. She's only That's a shipmate. That's mine. Is it yours? Yeah. Okay, why? You're the one who brought it up. You got to give me a reason then. Be- it's the way he says it. It's like he's he's giving up. He's he's not giving up on life. He's giving up on the ship. She's only a ship. We can always get a new one. You know, we're just going to have to deal with this one because in order to live, we need to let her go. Yeah, there is a bit of depression in his voice about yeah. it. It's the realization that this is the last time he's going to see the Pearl. But the reality is he'll save the crew and he can always get another ship. Yeah. Hopefully better than the Jolly Mon, as you mentioned. <laughs> but he can do that. And yeah. I think my instinct at first was the abandoned ship, abandoned hope by, by Gibbs. But I think that's a play on the only a shipmate. And I really like, I think I really like that, yeah. that one as well. Just the, it's the whole feeling and everything during that point. Well, and it also comes back to Jack. So there's an interesting play with it because Jack is the hero element. Everything he did just did, he comes back, he gets on board, he blasts the hell out of the crack and it goes away and it's allowing them to move forward, the eight of them, together. And so it's this whole idea that Jack is the hero. So he's portrayed as the hero. Everything is going to, to save the day is going to be okay. And you would think that that includes saving the Black Pearl because it's been such an integral part in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise so far. In Jack's life. In, and in Jack's life. But it's not. And that's the growth moment, too. Because, oh, there is life beyond the Pearl. And we can get another one and still be a crew. I could still have a ship. I could still have freedom. Might not be the infamous Black Pearl, but that is still out there. Life is still available. You can still move on. So that's what I thought is is cool about that. And where I was going first before I checked in with you just to see if you had any other things is is I kind of round things out here is that I found this weird factoid that I, it was like I came across while I was just looking at stuff on Abandoned Ship, Abandoned Hope. Uh Uh-huh. And it came across this song by Four Years Strong from 2007 called Abandon Ship, Abandon All Hope. It's actually a title of a song from 2007. Coincidence? It's like, come on, I think not. Because the album art for this shows a wizard riding a giant squid. Now, tell me that's not like a mixture of things. So it turns out that this is pure Dead Man's Chest inspiration because they throw a lot of pop culture references into the titles of their songs, basically pulling lines from movies and using that as a title for their songs. And oh, so okay. I don't remember now because I didn't write it down or anything, but The Wizard may have been a tie-in to some stuff that had wizard theme or uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that that was some line to that. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That there was an actual song or the line by Gibbs, which maybe then makes it the line of the week, is that, even though it doesn't quite have the same feeling, is that uh, Jack didn't get a song about his line. Gibbs got a song about his yeah. line. Yeah. Maybe that's the winner, winner, chicken dinner then. So 
I don't know if you have anything else, but I did want to mention that Jeff in our Cursed Listeners Facebook group shared some photos from the Voodoo Museum in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Those are really cool. Yeah. My, my favorite, of course. Do you know what my favorite photo was? No. What was it? It was the collection of voodoo dolls. Because, oh, yeah. Now, I could use a few voodoo dolls. I'm just going to say it. Of course, I would be responsible. I'm not going to be irresponsible with voodoo dolls. No sinister stuff. Well, probably no sinister stuff. Most likely no sinister stuff. Okay, perhaps a little sinister stuff would happen. Some black magic, of course. But I wouldn't do it to any of the listeners. This would be to others, I guess. I can't hide it, okay? You know, safe pirate space. Remember we said that? So anyways, if you you should just wander on over. Join the Facebook group, the Cursed Listeners Crew group. And then you can share some stuff or any pirate stuff from uh, your travels as well. Share it with the group. And we do a little bit of talking. I don't... Yeah. There we go. I'll just leave it at that. That's it? Yeah, I'm just going to leave it I don't... It at that. Uh, okay. Well, I'm trying to get back into the swing of posting a lot of stuff, but man, it's... It, Social media is a lot of work. At least for me it is. I don't know what it is. I need like a social media assistant. Let's just say that. There we go. I need a Black Pearl show social media assistant. And then they can do that for me. Because other than that, I'm pretty much... I've recently... You with struggle the, with social media. I do. And I've recently started to like flip through just even the news feed or the wall or whatever the hell they call it these days on Facebook. The news feed, your news feed, news timeline, the timeline. I don't, this is how disconnected I am from this stuff. Because I usually go there for two reasons Pirates of the Caribbean, Star Wars. And when I say Star Wars, it could be Star Wars like collectibles and things. Other than that, that's it. And then I started with this whole coronavirus thing. I started flipping through this thing, and I'm just like, it just made my head hurt. And I thought, this is why I don't. Flip yeah. through this. So there's some cool stuff, and I, I might just take the stance of I'll let Heather show me some cool stuff from the, <laughs> the majority of his dogs. <laughs> and then I'm just gonna go back to Star Wars and pirates. And so people who friend me on there, and if I don't like something, just know that I probably haven't seen it, or if I did, I'm just not a big on it, and I rely on Heather to try and take me down the social <laughs> graces of being socially conscious, I guess, and doing that so it doesn't it's no slight against anybody it's just the way it is with me so yeah. with that i'll say thanks for listening scallywags I, I do appreciate it thanks thanks so much for listening and thanks for bringing the show back we're getting back to where we were in the beginning so that is good even after the the mega hiatus and we're powering through the coronavirus the shelter in place orders so if you like the show while you're just sitting at home strumming your banjo playing with your sword i don't know all oh, what other pirate stuff could there be Holding on to tentacles. Whatever it is that you're doing at the house during this time, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow the show, and we greatly appreciate it. It helps. It inspires euphemisms. Now that I think about it. There we go. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com and... Don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook. Our Facebook listeners crew, group, thing, whatever it is that I just mentioned before. Just see see the past few minutes. And on Twitter. All the links are at theblackpearlshow.com. It is that freaking easy. And, of course, you know what we're doing here. We're delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty, freaking, filthy bilge rats we are. You know what we're doing, right? 
Where's the room? No, you're in the wrong spot. Don't you have this stuff memorized yet? We're analyzing, we're scrutinizing, and we're plundering. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling and scurvy to a minimum. And don't forget, it's not so much the plague you have to worry about, it's the freaking people reacting to the said apocalypse. Now you can hit it. Where's the rum? Thank you. We need the rum. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilgrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shout Reach Media Production.